I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. We are ending the Phoenix of True Nature session. This talk is Life Looking Back on Itself, Contemplating Our Dying. I am already dying. You are already dying. If we greeted each other like this, with this awareness, you are already dying. I am already dying. If we sat together like this, in this awareness, left each other in this awareness, the awareness of death will find you to any moment. We really don't know. Would that change your relationships? including your relationship with yourself. So good morning, everyone. It's a weird way to start a Dharma talk, isn't it? Well, we are ending a session that focused on uh, looking directly at the nature of life and death. Called it the Phoenix of True Nature and really allowed ourselves to get still to this life, look directly at it, it, look directly, experience it directly. If you haven't experienced session, what it is is hard to talk about, but I'll try. What it is is a supportive schedule and environment. We simplify our lives, pare down as much as we are able, we're offering session now both in person here at the Zendo for the residents, those in the residential community, and then also on Zoom every month. And so we pare down as much as we're able in order to know and experience the essence of this life more completely. So the schedule usually consists of four two-hour sessions of formal meditation Walking meditation is included in that. And then we sometimes have guided meditations, Dharma talks, body movement practice, practice check-ins with the retreat leaders, chanting and bowing, which are expressions of gratitude, devotion, also embodiment practices, and then time for eating and working meditation, all within a silent backdrop. So Sashin gives us the space and silence to zoom out a bit from the blaring, reactive thinking mind. Sometimes getting so quiet that that voice seems to disappear, or at least we get a lot of perspective from it, and are able to look into the fundamental questions to maybe more accurately live in to the fundamental questions, existential questions, the nature of mind, who am I? And during this session, we were really looking at what does it mean to be alive? Knowing that, you know, we have an idea of I'm alive, of course, but what is that actually like? 
moment to moment, what is life? What is this thing I call my life? How am I already dying? And when I am aware of that truth, does it change the way I live? Does it change the way I am aware? What is born moment to moment? What dies? What does it mean to die before you die, like the Zen teachings ask? Is there something that is constantly changing? Is life both constantly changing and eternal, timeless? What is my experience of being alive right now? This here and now, life never arising, never passing, life just arising, always vanishing, ungraspable, unborn, undying. We looked at life and death from direct experience and also noticed some of the conceptual overlay and beliefs we have about what it means to be alive and what death is. We studied in direct experience the everyday deaths. And so when you get still during session and there's a certain kind of good monotony, um, you can see change on a much more fundamental level. Notice these everyday deaths of loss and change, these moment-by-moment deaths. We're looking at vanishing, how one moment is completely always slipping away. And then we also contemplated the five remembrances every evening before we went to bed. We recited or sang... um, The five remembrances, which are, I am getting older. I have the nature to grow old. These are rewritten by um, one of our monks, Soten. I am made to suffer illness. Health is not what I am. I am already dying. That's the third one. I am already dying. Death will find me. All that is dear to me and everyone I love come to change. Death will find them too. Our deeds are the ground on which we stand. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. Those are called the five remembrances. That's a teaching from the Buddha. During this session, I've been sharing this case from the Blue Cliff Record, and I wanted to visit it one last time. This is Blue Cliff Record Case 3, which is a collection of koans in the Zen tradition. And this is Master Ma is Unwell. A student went to visit Master Ma when he was on his deathbed. He was quite sick, bedridden. And the student asked, Master Ma, how are you doing? And Master Ma replied, Sun face Buddha, moon face 
Buddha. Master Ma was known for his pithy and direct way of pointing students to look at the nature of mind at essence. So when asked by one student, what is Buddha? What is awakening? What is practice? Master Ma said, mind is Buddha. When asked by another student the same question, what is Buddha? Master Ma replied, no mind, no Buddha. So that's just a flavor for some of his teaching. You'll get a little bit more throughout this talk. Well, here he is on his deathbed and when asked, how are you doing? Here you are dying, your body falling apart. You're so ill, once so vital, you're so ill. And his reply is sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. The sun-faced Buddha is said to live for 1,400 years and moon-faced Buddha for a single day and night. Our lives, from one perspective, are constantly changing, a flow, flow of sensation, color, light, thought. And simultaneously, always, we only ever experience now, which has an eternal experience. Life is only now. It's memory, but memory arises now that we have this sense of past. It's projection or fantasy that we have a sense of future, but all of that only ever arises now. Master Ma is dying and is aware of both realities. The body is dying, yet he is only now. Our lives, we are, like Master Ma, already dying. And yet our lives are so much bigger than this physical body. In the evening, uh, uh, during Sashin, we were chanting a Dai E Zenji's vow for awakening, which is a very spirited, inspiring chant. And he says of the time of physical death, wherein we return to the original mind, in the realm of no birth and no death and merge infinitely into the whole universe to manifest as all things in their true nature. We say that chant so fast, the end of the night. I like to read it slow and let it sink in. It's so inspiring, right? That is who we are the whole universe. Another way of unpacking sun-face, moon-face Buddha is to tease apart our so-called outer and inner life, the exterior and interior selves. For those of us emerging from Sashin, we are opening back to the sun-face Buddha of our lives, the parts of us that are outward-facing, day-lit, the appearances and responsibilities of our lives, our roles, relationships, loves, projects, that email box, careers, jobs, meetings awaiting our life energy, our time, our perspectives. 
Here at the monastery, we've been talking about Zen training recently and asking that ever important, timeless question, what is it? What is it to be trained in Zen? What is this training that we are submitting ourselves to as Zen practitioners? And one aspect of it is we are formed by our actions, our relationships, our roles, the schedules that we submit to, the work we prioritize. We are all being shaped, transformed by the sun of our lives, the stuff of our lives. What suns are you growing towards? As if a growing like a tree or being trained as trees are trained, bonsai. What ways are you being shaped? What are you growing towards? Who are you training under? Who are you allowing yourself to be shaped and transformed by? At the monastery, the schedule and our roles shape us in this external, what I'm calling sun-facing way. For me, sunlit as a priest, the robes, the services and liturgy, the practice of bowing, of holding the hands in gasho, such a powerful position. And I do it so many times a day. We do it so many times during the meal chant, dedicating merit to all those who are ill and in distress. Every day we do this recollecting, opening to the Sangha members who are sick, those people in the world who are, are suffering, are in dire conditions. We sit zazen ritually every morning, every evening. Someone said bookending the day. All these shape the body and for me, open up opportunities to teach the Dharma, to work with people through the transitions of their lives, to make ceremony, to be deeply present in the shared intimacy of being alive with another human being. It's amazing. Every life, every life is shaped by commitments, by relationships and responsibilities. We have a sun-faced self that we present to the world, be it rational and perfection-based, a helper, an achiever, an individualist, an investigator, a loyal friend, a busybody, a workaholic, a challenger, a peacemaker, a critic. The list goes on. All of that is part of our sun-faced self. All of that is workable, is gift, is offering. And I think that's one thing that we learn during Sashin or we see during Sashin. We step away from the outward facing life to the degree that we can and get some space from it. So it's not just our primary identity. It's an identity that we put on. We can play in the robes <laughs> and whatever you're uniform is, formless uniform. And so then our responsibilities, our work, our emails, they're just part of the display of our 
life as offering, as bodhisattva vow, as gift. Master Ma says, to advance from where you can no longer advance, to do what can no longer be done, you must make yourself into a raft or a ferry boat for others. So leaving the container of sashin, we give ourselves over to the training of our lives, to our service of awakening in whatever shape it takes. And for all of us, it's many. It's computer, it's puppy, it's diaper, it's breath, it's footstep, it's sky, it's birdsong. And on and on and on and on and on. Master Ma says, each matter, each matter you encounter constitutes the meaning of your life. Each matter you encounter constitutes the meaning of your life. And then we have our moon-facing lives. Moon face always lit, one eye always inward-facing. Rumi says, there is a moon inside every chest. Learn to be companions with it. Give more of your life to this listening. There is a moon inside every chest. Learn to be companions with it. Give more of your life to this listening. Our inner lives call us to Sashin. The moon of the heart begs to illumine. Our inner lives call us to practice, to zazen. We walk through life, one eye peering inwards, one eye peering out. The inner life is often hidden by the darkness of the night, by our ignorance, by our forgetting. Sashin lets us peer deeper into the textures of the heart to honor the soft spots, the pains, and heartaches. When we sit sashin and zazen, we see more of the inner workings of the heart-mind, the feelings and the fears that constitute or make up this body, the beliefs that drive our sense of self. Chosen Roshi sometimes refers to sashin as a kind of psychic surgery, that as we expose more of what is unconscious to our daylit selves, to our normal functioning awareness, when we expose more of what is unconscious to the light of awareness, things change in unexpected ways. And we don't necessarily see those changes as they're happening during session. We sometimes have a particular idea in our mind of like a state we want to achieve or a feeling we want to have or what good practice looks like. And all of this work is happening under the surface of as we let go moment by moment, as we come back to breath and body sensations, as we begin to open the heart to feel more of our bodies, to welcome, to include, all of that's happening. And it has an effect on this, on what has been unconscious for so long. And so, Strategies that weren't serving us sometimes fall away unexpectedly. It may be days after sashin or months after sashin, you notice oh, something's different. I don't get angry about that anymore. 
I'm not as reactive as I used to be. Or maybe you don't even notice, but other people do. Or there's just more patience. There's more of an ability to bear witness. A little more comfort with silence. Things fall away unexpectedly. We transform our relationship to pain by sitting with pain. Even if it's not like this big breakthrough during Sashin, like something changes. The body learns something about pain and our own capacity. We transform our relationship to the body by inhabiting it by sitting so often, so much, putting ourselves in the posture. We transform our relationship to the inner critic, to fear, to the other aspects of experience that we think are challenging or we don't want. I want to read a beautiful piece by Zenju Earthlin Manuel on pain. says, when I became head student or shuso at the Zen Center, she's a priest, was a priest in the San Francisco Zen Center uh, circuit. Now she has her own place. When I became head student or shuso at the Zen Center in a rite of passage from ordained Zen priest to novice teacher, a student asked me, what should I do with chronic pain? I shared from my experience, there are these moments when there's no pain. It might be a second, a minute, or five minutes. Dwell in that time. To sit in that pause is not a tactic for relief. To sit in that pause is not a tactic for relief. It's an invitation for the most profound silence to come forth. A silence that doesn't press against the bones or the muscles. A silence that is empty of everything. Empty of pain. Empty of the body in pain. The body letting loose its river. Silence doesn't wait for recovery from pain. The body is recovered by this silence in the middle of pain. Many medicine people, healers, and spiritual teachers endure long periods of pain and illness in their lives. A messenger of healing was first a sick one awakened by the silence that speaks. In pain, they are rendered speechless. While speechless, they discover a profound silence that dislodges the pain and turns it into wisdom. From this experience comes wisdom and compassion for the body. Suffering from the severe pain of arthritis since I was 17, as an adult, I found myself weeping one evening. I listened to myself as if someone else was crying. I don't know what encouraged me, but I made a pact in the middle of my tears with whomever creates the substance of life and causes our birth. Some call it God. I said, 
I will do whatever you want. I will serve if you release me from this pain. For a moment, the pain dissolved. I sat up and for the first time discovered that there was a beautiful and peaceful pause inside the pain. It revealed that I had been carrying deep inner pain for decades and my body could no longer shift it. The more the messages came through, the more I realized that the pain was associated with fear, doubt, oppression, distrust, and rage. I knew about these things because I'd lived with them since childhood. What I didn't know was that in the pain was also wisdom, that the pain was leading me to a kind of silence that would enable me to heal. I could see through the pain in this silence. Most of all, I could speak in the pain that had rendered me silent. So in our lives in Sashin, we encounter pain and challenge, both physical and mental, emotional. And like Zenju was saying, this is a gateway into silence, into truth. Sashin and Zazen is inward-facing inward looking, tending the root, taking the backward step. And it allows us to see through the illusion of self, to see through the illusory nature of thoughts and beliefs, to feel the peace within pain. We can know the space and illumination and all apparent phenomena and all apparent sensation, including our own thoughts bodies, sense of self, and sense of separation. I am left with this Sashin, a motivation to honor the inner, to keep a bead on the mind, to honor the daily deaths, the moment-by-moment deaths, and the newness, the newness of life. How I do this, how we do this, how we carry our vows forward into our lives, I always say takes creativity and starts with intention. I think we're called to live into our insights from Sashin, to bring them into the sun. And we must honor also where they come from and to continue to nurture the soil, to listen to the moon in the center of our chest, to learn to be companions with our inner moons, our inner lives, which is also learning to be companions with death. A daily practice of forgiveness, gratitude, and zazen is good medicine even if it's just a five-minute ritual. In the Mahamudra tradition, they have this term, the lion's gaze, which I've always really loved this analogy, the way that um, it was transmitted to me through Dan Brown. He said, it's like when you throw a ball or a stick to a dog, the dog will chase the ball or the stick. 
but the lion will look back at the source. And this is the inward gaze, the gaze into the sourceless source, the tracing a thought back into its essence, the light of awareness. We can be always practicing this, no matter what we're doing. One eye facing out, one eye looking back. Our moonlit life is a practice of dying. Dying to the roles, the responsibilities, the constructed self. Dying daily in Zazen. Dying in sleep. Dying in dreaming. Dying in waking. I want to read Mary Oliver's poem, When Death Comes. When death comes like a hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from their purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood, as a sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each flower as common as, and I think of life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, towards silence. And each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wander if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Each name a comfortable music in the mouth tending as all music does towards silence, and each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. As all naming does, it tends towards silence, as all thought, all sound, tending towards silence. Hearing the silence, somebody said during a closing circle, they were listening to the silence between sounds. Hearing the silence is a way of honoring our dying. And we honor our living by honoring our dying. In knowing who we are when the mind is quiet, even if it's just for a few seconds, Like Zenju said, mind 
the mind or notice when you're not in pain, even if it's a second or five seconds or five minutes. Become friends with, become accustomed to those quiet moments. Linger in them. Let them be part of your day. We honor our dying and knowing who we are when the body is spacious. And then this distinction I'm making between inner and outer seems kind of silly or just not true. The sun and moon awareness, same light. Master Ma, when asked, what understanding does one have to have in order to be considered enlightened? What understanding does one, don't you always want to ask that question? What understanding does one have to have in order to be considered enlightened? And he replied, you are yourself. You are yourself. You are yourself completely unique, a universe unto itself. You are yourself completely connected. This universe, you. Sun facing, moon facing, lit, alive. Share one last poem. This is called An Antidote for the Fear of Death. Our Antidotes to a Fear of Death by Rebecca Elson. Sometimes as an antidote to the fear of death, I eat the stars. Those nights lying on my back, I suck them from the quenching dark till they are all, all inside me, pepper hot and sharp. Sometimes instead, I stir myself into a universe still young, still warm as blood. No outer space, just space. The light of all the not yet stars drifting like a bright mist and all of us and everything already there, but unconstrained by form. And sometimes it's enough to lie down here on earth beside our long ancestral bones, to walk across the cobble fields of our discarded skulls, each like a treasure like a chrysalis, thinking whatever left these husks flew on bright wings.